It's the 50th episode. Season 2. On this episode of Aka Education, Justin speaks with educator and author Jen Rafferty about finding our why, our purpose and reasoning for how we approach our teaching, and how this philosophy is incorporated into the classroom and acapella world. Jen also discusses her new international virtual project, Sing Together, and talks about the difference between teaching children and teaching teachers. Let's get ready. Aka Education starts now. It's the Aka Education Podcast. The Aka Education Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Justin Glodish with another episode of the Aka Education Podcast. And this week, we're going to kind of stray away from the acapella portion and go into the education portion because I have one of the top educators, in my opinion, in the land. She is amazing. And I found out just recently that we actually both lived in Ithaca at the same time a few years ago, we'll say. And uh, she is fantastic at what she does. And we're going to talk about her career and what she's doing in education. Her name is Jen Rafferty. Jen, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is really awesome. And, uh, you know, to go back to the Ithaca thing, uh, not realizing that we were there at the same time and just seeing where your career has kind of led you now and, and where I am now, it's, it's, it's cool that we're still in education in some fashion and, you know, still working to make a difference in kids' lives. So um, one of the things that I love about what you're doing is you are now essentially an educational consultant, I'd say. You, you pretty much tour and give workshops, lectures about this philosophy about to just really talking to teachers and trying to get them to understand their why. And that's something that um, I know that a lot of student teachers start trying to th- figure out and even seasoned veterans with over 20 years of experience, especially after the past 18 months, let's say, what is our why? So can you talk a little bit about that philosophy of us connecting to our why? Absolutely. It's one of the most fundamental things that I want to talk about with teachers because at the end of the day, if you don't know why you're doing something, then then what are you doing? And I think that, as you were just referring to, these pre-service teachers spend a lot of time creating this music education philosophy. And that's that's beautiful. But when when we're 22, we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we think we know everything, but, but we really don't know anything. And while it is a valuable tool to have when we're at that place in our career, this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to go, we're, we're so ready to change the world with everything we know about music education, when we get to our classrooms and we're in the reality of the of just everyday teaching, things shift. And not very often our, our teachers asked, you know, why do you do this? And I've been very mission-driven my whole career. This has been something that has been very near and dear to me. Uh, I'll share my my professional mission is to inspire people to discover their voice. And mm-hmm. having that very clear mission has given me a guidepost to make decisions, right? Do I put time and energy and attention to this thing? 
well, does it bring me closer to that mission or not? Mm -hmm. And if not, then I just, I just don't do it. Or if I have to do it, I don't do it with all of the great intention and energy and and time that it it might have taken somebody else to do it. So this is especially important during COVID because music teachers went through not just this personal identity crisis, but this professional identity crisis, because we are, you know, if, if we're not standing in front of our groups, who am I? <laughs> you know, and um, many teachers went went through that, including uh, myself. And it was, well, what am I? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? What, what am I doing? And really connecting to my mission again is inspiring people to discover their voice. I was really able to make decisions with clarity about moving forward with the choices that I made regarding my career. And Mm -hmm. it helped lead over my career to big programming being developed. For example, I I developed a modern band program at my school because of that idea of, well, is really everyone inspired to discover their voice? No, there's 85% of these kids are not even involved in the music program. How do we get them to discover their voice? Right? And, um, Mm -hmm. oh, these elementary school kids, well, we don't have enough instruments to make sure that all of them have the opportunity to discover their voice. So... How do we get instruments in every kid's hands? And then we put time and energy in that. So this, this why is really this driving purpose of, of what it is we do every day. Why do you get up in the morning to do it? Yeah, I love, I love that you bring that up about, you know, well, you mentioned percentages in terms of how many kids aren't involved in music programs. And I mean, this, I don't know if this is worldwide or even nationwide, but I know that at least in my own personal district, we have, you know, in New York state alone, you know, there are requirements that you need for graduation and to move ahead. But I know that at least where I am, once students finish seventh grade general music, where pretty much every kid in seventh grade has to take a music class in our building. So if they're not in band or chorus, they're in general music. But for most of those students, that is the last music class they're going to take in the rest of their, you know, secondary career. They might not even approach music in the high school and who knows what'll happen once, you know, they go into the world, the workforce or going into college afterwards. So, you know, one of the things that we ended up doing is we actually created a, a music technology course for eighth graders as an elective to kind of get them interested in, um, you know, learning about copyright, learning about recording techniques, podcasting, you know, all of these different technological advances that are happening in, you know, in the classroom. Now we're giving them an opportunity to really explore those things. And a lot of the students that I have, what I found fascinating is that they want to make beats, you know, that, that's, that's like, we want to make beats. We want to, you know, and these are students who have never been involved in uh, chorus or bands, but they have this, this drive and this desire to create music that isn't picking up a clarinet and isn't, you know, banging on a drum. You know what I mean? So to me, that is highly valuable about what you said in terms of trying to get more kids interested and finding their voice within the musical realm that we have. Absolutely. And what's, there's a couple of things interesting about, about that is, uh, first of all, I've been doing this workshop and, and this work with, with teachers for years now, and I've never heard two teachers say the same reason why they do this job, which is beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the second thing about that is when you are mission-driven, when something happens like, I don't know, a pandemic, you take a step back and you say, okay, well, well, what is my purpose here? 
And then all of a sudden you go from looking at this micro thing to taking the step back and looking at the, at this macro way and say, you know, okay, well, how else then can I make this happen? And that's when the creative juices start flowing for you as a professional, because how often are our teachers really asked, like, what do you want, right? We have these mandates and regulations that we have to be really compliant about from the state and, and local initiatives. And then we're mm-hmm. so noble that, oh, we're going to do this for the kids. But as a professional, teachers get lost in that equation. So without the sense of purpose, there's burnout, overwhelmed, there's stress, get teachers being like, oh, well, you know, 12 more years till retirement. And to me, that's an unacceptable way to maintain longevity in this career, because then what are you doing? Yeah. If you, if you start counting how many years you have left, I like, I worry, like I worry for those teachers out there because that is like the first step towards complacency and just kind of letting things kind of just float along, you know? And so like, I totally agree with you 100% on that. Just, just knowing, and especially with this pandemic, it, it really came down to, you know, the burnout of having to almost for some people double the amount of work that they were doing because some people had hybrid models where kids were sitting in front of them, kids were online. So now everything has to be, you know, you, for some teachers, you're talking 20 years worth of notes that are now having to be typed and videos created for students who don't show up to your, you know, your Zoom meetings or your Google meets or whatever for classes. It's, it became a lot. A lot of my colleagues have said that this past year was like four years <laughs> rolled into one and like every two months was a new year. It was it was painful and it was tough and even now this year even though students are back in most buildings there is this this worry of the delta variant and quarantining and and students you know having to go out again and now we have to provide synchronous and asynchronous work again something that we thought we weren't going to have to do and it's just it just piles up and it, it does it, and it pile makes up. it extremely absolutely. difficult absolutely and you know and I'll, I'll give another example you know i, I gave this particular workshop just yesterday, actually, and someone just was talking about inspiring students to, to create with their heart and mind. It was, it was something kind of, kind of, you know, beautiful like that. Um, Okay. So if that's your mission and you're being piled on by these responsibilities of having to do you know, hybrid and putting notes on this and doing this on the computer and making sure that the students are turning their camera on, you step back and like, okay, what am I really doing here? Maybe you don't need all those notes. Mm -hmm. Maybe you abandon the notes and you go in a completely different direction because that's really the important thing, not the notes at this point. Right. And that's like, that's the difference between feeling empowered and, and, really stepping into your power about what is my role here because I'm responsible for how I show up in this space as opposed to I'm a victim to all of these external things that are going on and it's overwhelming and I'm so stressed out and I don't have anything left and like, what am I doing anyway? Oh my gosh, I have 12 more years left. Just like get me out of here. And you know, it's just, it's a completely mind, it's a complete shift in mindset. And um, it starts with that why. And that's why it's so important to me because there's so much that can be built on that. But if we don't understand why we're doing it, then none of that stuff really matters. Right. And, you know, and the why does evolve over time and it should evolve over time. You know, things are constantly changing around us. So, I mean, 
it's almost like, you know, they always have that. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? It's like, I don't know. I'm hoping I can see what I'm doing next week, you know, or next period for, for some of us, you know, and, um, you know, you bring up a good point about like putting the notes aside and, you know, maybe consider the, the social emotional learning and well, well being of your students as well as yourself. Um, and this is just strictly within the classroom, never mind, you know, the faculty meetings, the professional learning communities, all of the other things that are on top of what we do in the classroom. Um, but I think taking the time to focus on the students' well-being, but your own personal well-being too, is is high, is a lot more valuable than hitting every single thing in your curriculum at this yeah. point. Oh, 100%. I mean, you have to put your oxygen mask on first. And, and here's the thing that kind of just drives me a little bit crazy about this is that, you know, there's this take care of yourself, self-care, self-care, right? Which is it's just mm-hmm. like vomiting self-care and everybody. But, but like, really, what are we talking about? It's not donuts in the faculty room. It's not like, oh, we'll go get a massage or like take a nap. That's not self-care, um, first of all. But then on the other, on the other side of this, the teachers that are revered are the ones that are selfless, giving completely of oneself. And so we have this mixed message of, first of all, I don't know when what other arena it is acceptable or little revered to completely get rid of your sense of self. Um, because you don't have, you can't give something you don't have, right? And so we have this, oh, self-care, take care of yourself. But like here are all these teachers being selfless. It's completely mixed messages. So, you know, that's kind of where I step in. And I'm like, whoa, before you can even talk about social emotional learning for your kids, you need to take care of your social emotional learning for yourself. Where is your emotional intelligence? Where is, where is your mental health right now? Um, And, and start there because forget about inspiring the kids. You can't inspire anybody if you don't feel inspired. You just can't. Right. I agree. And I mean, that goes all the way back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier in terms of putting the notes aside and just taking that deep breath and giving, giving really a part of yourself to your students. I think they see you on a more humanistic level. If you really try your best to connect with them outside of what you're actually teaching, you know, outside of the music class or, or outside of the math or the ELA or whatever it is, you know, and just really trying to connect with them on a human level, regardless of grade level, you know, because even like I teach middle school, but it's not just the middle schoolers, it's the high schoolers feeling this is the college level kids. It's kindergartners and first graders. Obviously it's, it's very different on how they're handling it or how they're, you know, going through their stuff. But you can still connect with them in some way, shape, or form to really make them feel, you know, better, I'd say. We're all human, so, right? Yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> human connection is one of the most important things that we can do on this earth. And as music teachers, we get to do that in the most beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that you had mentioned, now you said that you are now out of the classroom and you're working on uh, a few projects, actually. And one of the things that looks like it actually came out of the pandemic was this, this international choir that uh, meets virtually called Sing Together. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about Sing Together, how that came about and uh, how it's been going. Totally. And this is actually, um, I think, in, under the umbrella of acapella music, I'm, I'm going to I'm here for insert it. Yeah. that here. So again, going back to my why, here I was totally, you know, ripped away from all of the things that, you know, I love to do just along with everybody else, mourning the loss of my choirs. But 
continuing to have this very strong connection to what it is that I'm supposed to do, which is inspiring people to discover their voice. Mm -hmm. So how do I do that? How do I do it? And I have been directing an intergenerational choir for for a number of years now, probably about 12, 12, 13 years now. And that was another arena that couldn't happen in person, obviously, last summer. Um, And as the summer rolled around, I have to give some sort of experience to these folks. I mean, this is this is one of the only times that people get to make music together um, for, for that population. So I talked with a bunch of people and I ended up coming up with this program called Sing Together. And it's not a choir because it can't be, right? Because it's on Zoom and we have to be on mute because there's no like live singing able to happen. So I remember I put this thing together and I, I called my sister who's... Um, She's my, my, my better half. <laughs> and I said, you know, Rachel, like, how is this, how is this going to work? This is, this is crazy. Everyone's on mute. This is ridiculous. Um, but I was like, but I'm gonna, we're going to try. We're going to do this. So I called it this virtual singing community. And what happened was something remarkable and completely unexpected. Because everyone was on mute, it ended up being its greatest strength. Because the people who came were folks who were like, you know, Jen, I'm not really a singer, but yeah. because I'm on mute, I'm not afraid to make a to make a, a weird sound or to sing a wrong note or to be super expressive. So what happened was people actually discovered their voice so much more deeply than I ever realized was possible. And the songs that we were doing were acapella. <laughs> nice. And um, I, I picked songs that were simple, repetitive, and had lots of layers where I made recordings like on GarageBand so people would sing with me. It was kind of like this like mm-hmm. interactive TV show was kind of what was going on, right? right? Um, starring Jen. <laughs> and, um, you know, so we would joke, you know, it'd be like, all right, you know, we're going to do this part, but, you know, if you want to do it in different key, like you do you, I can't hear you anyway. Like, go, go for it. You know, you all want to sing part one. Great. We don't need balanced parts. We're all on mute. Who cares? And the Mm -hmm. focus all of a sudden went from this output to the input. And we learned so much more about how music is part of a storytelling art, how Mm -hmm. we can understand music through our emotions and we understand our emotions through music And especially during the time of COVID, being able to talk to people about what they were feeling was so important. So what started to happen was I would get, you know, the folks who were originally part of the summer choir, which was mostly like Dryden, Ithaca, like central New York residents, right? And my sister who's in Miami, who comes to like all my things. She's my biggest fan. I just love her. Nice. Um, Right? (laughs) But (laughs) what would happen was, and they'd be like, oh, hey, grandma lives in Connecticut. I'm going to invite her too. And all of a sudden, there was this family component that would happen online where they would be able to connect, even though they were in isolation. Um, and then it just grew. And Airbnb online experiences picked it up. And oh, wow. I was getting folks from Kazakhstan and Turkey and India and Ireland and England and all over the world coming together. And then I started running out of songs. So I was like, I better start writing my own. So I started writing my own music and um, now it's also picked up by another program called Field Trips, 
which sponsors this every other month. And um, between 80 and 100 people come from all over the world to sing together in this beautiful way. And we elevate humanity and everyone finds their voice and we go on That's with really our lives. Cool. It's just the most beautiful thing. That's really cool. And I, it's, I look at it as very different than, but in a good way in terms of like, I know with the pandemic, the, the talk of, I think every educator became, all right, how do we make the virtual ensembles? How do we make virtual choirs, virtual bands, virtual, all of this. And that became the focus of performance where many of my colleagues and I would say, that's not performance in a sense, because you're taking all these videos, it's, it's more editing and, and processing a lot of, you know, it, it's time consuming to create something like that. But now you're actually taking the idea of the virtual choir and making it more about the person themselves, as opposed to a product in a sense, you know what I mean? And, and I think that's more valuable than anything. You know, I wish, I wish I had that I wish I had that idea, not to steal your idea, but I wish I had that <laughs> idea going idea. into do it because it going? <laughs> yeah, because because here's the thing, right? Like you know, I I you do you, and mm-hmm. I do me. You know what I mean? Right. So like, there's there's um, the more people that we can reach, the the better this world is going to be. And I, I really do believe that this kind of thing changes the world. It's it's not just like hyperbole. This is something that I, I truly mm-hmm. believe. Um, so the more people that do this, I mean, that's, that's kind of my mission, right? Like right. do it. Um, yeah. but there is a shift in focus. And I think that, um, I, I observed this a lot in my conversations. I, I hosted a lot of conversations about reimagining music education in the summer of 2020 in the spring of 2020, moving into the fall of 2020. And it was so interesting for me to observe the teachers who were kind of just grasping on so tightly to all the things that they knew and loved because it was a part of their identity and totally get it. But again, if we like take a step back and we realize what is the situation, what is it? Are you really doing? What is your why? Is it really standing in front of your band and waving your baton or are you teaching kids skills okay, well then we can work with that in a virtual setting. What, you know what I mean? And so that's why to bring it back to that, like that's why that's so important. And the the teachers who were able to embrace that and lean into that change really did some interesting things. And again, turned this idea on its head of we're not working towards the performance. I'm not Mm -hmm. creating some big produced product at the end of this. This is about personal growth and understanding the musicality that exists inside of everybody. It's just, it's available to everybody and it's free <laughs> and it brings yeah. you so much joy. See, I see, this is where, uh, and, and this is me just being me, my own philosophy. Like I, it would take me time to let go of the, all right, let's like, like, I want to like, all right, let's try this phrase. No, you know, it, it would take a while for me to get that teaching part out of me to just say, let's rock. You know, I don't care what it sounds like. You know, I'm usually, I I usually tell my students, you know, make loud mistakes. It, to me, it's always about the process, not the perfection, you know, and they, I feel like, and I say this no, so many times and you may agree or disagree, but we live in a society where perfection is almost like 
expected or it's just like almost like preached and taught in such a way you know the um the way that music sounds so like pristine and crystal clear on recordings but then you go see those artists live and you're like this doesn't sound the same to me you know and i i think especially these younger generations they they feel pressure to be perfect every single time they like i can give them a piece of music and this is your first time looking at it guys and girls and we start singing it and they get really quiet because they're afraid that they're going to be judged they're afraid they're they're going to be made fun of and that that's a whole other thing in terms of you know the the self-care being self-aware of what you're doing so i always get afraid that i'm going to not have that if i was doing like a virtual thing like you and, and just saying you know what here let's just go because that's just it's my nature. And you, you kind of call, you're basically calling me out. <laughs> I'm just letting you but know. It's you're like so calling interesting me out. That's... though, because what you just described about what you want your students to do, mm. you're holding yourself to a different standard. Mm. Yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> it's... Right. I mean, you just have like make bit, yeah. big loud mistakes, like have fun with this, who cares? And, and that's really all yeah. this is. And it's so interesting too, because now that I'm working with teachers, Talking about mm-hmm. that perfectionism, OMG, they are worse than the kids. You know, it's it's like <laughs> they're afraid to answer this question. Like, oh, Jen, is this is this what you want? I'm not sure that this is what you wanted, but I'm going to, it's like this, wait, what? No, just say the thing. Like, make big, loud mistakes. Isn't that, this isn't this exactly what you ask your students to do all the time? And it's this really interesting mirror that's being held up, non-judgmentally, right? This is just information. It's data. Like, oh, huh, that's interesting that I think that. Um, but yeah. it's it's teaching because, and like I said this earlier, we are expected to be compliant. We have to be. Because of this, uh, because of the structure of the job, right? There are rules we need to follow. There are standards we need to touch on. There's administrative things that that we need to do. Um, but when it comes to something like this, it can be messy. That's where yeah. the, that's where the fun is. And that was a learning experience for me too, Justin. Like I didn't go into this being like, yeah, like let's <laughs> like forget all the rules. You know, I'm such a rule follower. I'm a Capricorn. Like this is, <laughs> I'm a rule follower. But this was something that was very much out of my comfort zone. But I, again, felt really connected to my purpose. So because my purpose was greater than my insecurities about it, I continued mm-hmm. anyway. Because, like, my insecurities were were so less important than this mission that I had of getting people to discover their voice. And so I right. did it. That's, it makes perfect sense. Um, and I'm actually, I'm going through, if you haven't uh, checked out her website, it's jenrafferty.com, uh, R-A-F-F-E-R-T-Y.com. And she um, has written a book called A Place in the Staff, Finding Your Ways as a, or Finding Your Way as a Music Teacher. Now, based on the title, I mean, I personally haven't read the book, but I think I'm going to now. Um, I know that uh, for me as a music teacher, or we can just refer them to them as special area teachers, um, or even in your first few years as a teacher, as a new teacher, it's hard to find your way. It's hard to find your place. Um, everything's kind of different. You know, your schedule is very different than, say, the core classes, we'll call them. You know, you're, um, some people view the special area teachers as the prep teacher, um, you know, which I always view very negatively. It actually really, it, 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 um, I have words about that that I will not say. Uh, this is a family podcast. Um, but, you know, just 
we're looked at and viewed differently. And um, your your book about finding your way, um, can you describe a little bit about what your book is about? And, and, you know, did you experience any of those, like, things that I just had kind of mentioned in your first few years of teaching in your career? Oh, 100%. And the, hmm. the book was really about filling the gaps in what you don't learn in your pre-service to what you really need. Mm-hmm in your first few years of teaching. However, you know, teachers of, of in all parts of their career have, have read this book and there's there's nuggets in there for everybody. Um, but I, I know that the turnover rate for new teachers is really high. Uh, mm-hmm. Being a special area teacher is has its, its unique challenges. Sometimes you're a one-man show and yeah. you don't have support. And I don't know about you, but my first couple of years of teaching, there was like a lot of crying. <laughs> There's so much crying. You know, I was like, oh, I don't know, is this supposed to do this? You know, is this supposed to be this hard? And I just, I just mm-hmm. wasn't prepared for some of the things. So what this book does is really outline a, a lot of that. And of course, it starts with remember your why. Um, mm-hmm. It's about creating this big, beautiful, juicy vision of who you want to be as a professional. It's about finding your tribe within your school and, and connecting with the like-minded teachers within your school and, and working with them. It's about how do you talk to parents, right? It's about your your language when you're working with an administrator and you're trying to advocate for yourself or for your program and understanding that um, these are high stakes conversations. And if you're not used to having those high stakes conversations and using those language that, that language, it's going to be difficult for you. So really concrete ways of how to practice what you're going to say, coming to the table with a solution. Um, and then there's a whole you know chapter about the A word I call it, which is assessment, <laughs> uh, which is a, a really important thing too, because, you know, you get a, a, like a sprinkling of maybe a couple of ideas of what you can do when you're in pre-service, but then you get there and then you're bombarded, at least in New York state with all those APPRs and the student learning mm-hmm. objectives and all, and you're like, whoa, 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 what do you mean data? Wait, what? But where we're singing and um, how, how you can kind of navigate that. And then of course, there's a whole thing about self-care, making sure you're taking care of yourself, which does not talk about, eating donuts. <laughs> it does talk more about how we can really understand ourselves and keep in check of our social emotional health. That's smart. I, I, um, I'm going to tell you right now, I know that my first few years, it wasn't necessarily, um, being the, the, the crying part, but I, I took up running. <laughs> I took up a hobby to try and ease the, uh, the anger and frustration and difficulties that I had, you know, those first, first couple of years. And you, you know, you bring up pre-service a lot. I'm actually getting a student teacher from Ithaca ah, this year, which is awesome, yes. which is fantastic. And, um, I, you know, had a conversation with, uh, with that person the other day and I was telling them everything that you learn in undergrad, you know, there are, there is value in everything you're going to learn, but until you are thrown into the fire, <laughs> you know, like, be, just be prepared for anything. You know, there's, there's the, always the idea of the perfect lesson plan, but once you get a day, you know, this child might not have even eaten breakfast or this child might have, you know, had issues on the bus and you might have to throw away that plan to really kind of, and, and navigate differently. Um, you know, so. Yeah. They don't care how I, long I, you spent making that lesson plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They don't care. And, yeah. yeah. And it's really going to come down to, you know, how you, you, you create, I call it the bag of tricks. You know, you, it's like, all right, this works for this specific class. 
I got to teach the same material to this class, but it's not going to work because I know that this cohort is very different. So it's, it's learning about all those and ins and outs of, you know, who your students are. And I think um, we have a lot of college students that do listen to the podcast and a lot of them are uh, education majors that are, you know, getting ready to go out in there. So I think this conversation is huge for them because, you know, this is something that they can take with them as they prepare for the that next step in their educational career. hundred percent. So. And I'll tell you, when I got out into my first job, I was like armed with my philosophy and pedagogy and my content. I was like ready to go. And then when I got to the classroom, I realized I had no idea who my kids were. I had no mm-hmm. idea. And that one semester of educational psychology when you're like a sophomore is doesn't yep. cut it because your own brain actually isn't fully developed yet either. So right. we have no context and an underdeveloped brain. And we're learning mm-hmm. about how to teach kids best using some of these best like, you know, educational psychology practices. And it doesn't, there's such a disconnect. So actually that's kind of where a lot of my research got started was when I was 22. And I realized I don't know anything about, cause I, middle school general music is my jam too, Justin. So like, totally oh, yeah. like, go. Go. like this is, I love middle school general music. Um, but I realized I need to know what they need developmentally. I didn't even know until probably about six years ago that there was an association for middle-level education. What? No idea. I'm learning this right okay, so, now. So um, thank you. AMLE.org. And they have incredible amounts of resources about middle school students and what adolescents need developmentally. Because if we can't be responsive with our pedagogy, our philosophy, and our content to what they need developmentally, then what are we doing? Mm-hmm. They're just like not getting it. So um, that, that really, honestly was an undercurrent throughout my teaching career and, and still is, which is why I'm, I'm now pursuing my doctorate degree in educational psychology. Um, and I am also in this like cognitive neuroscience rabbit hole as well. I could talk about brains, but that'll be like another day for another podcast. Love brains. Um, but we have to know about our kids. So it's not just like, oh, here's like the behavioral things and like this kid didn't eat and like this kid's coming from recess and da, da, da. But it's also like, okay, these kids are growing. And they are experiencing like their skeletal system might be growing separately in a different rate than their muscular system. So the kid who's like up moving around in the back of the classroom isn't just being a pain in the butt. He's uncomfortable. And if you're Mm -hmm. just shifting your idea of like, well, is this a behavioral issue or is this just a symptom of development? Then everything changes. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And it's like a whole different way of of teaching because you're just looking at it through a different lens. So the book talks a little yeah. bit about that too. That's great. Cause I, I think, you know, I think a lot of us could look at things in a different lens, you know, especially with the last two years, you know, now, but we, I think we're so trained and conditioned by how it was when we were students and what we recall from our own teachers and from our own experiences that we try and emulate that in our own teachings. Um, you know, and kids are very different these days than they were, you know, when we were kids, you know, there's a lot of new information out there. There's a lot of, a lot more, um, diagnosis, you know, diagnoses, I don't know what the word is, but you know what I mean? So there's a lot of different things out there that we may not be aware of and that we only kind of just 
touch base on for maybe one class period in undergrad, you know, those kinds of things. So I, I think that, um, you're hitting the nail on the head. I, I, I feel like we're on the same page here. You know, like, I, I love that we're, we're on the same wavelength in terms of all of this information. And I, I really think, you know, finding our why and looking at things through a different lens could really shift how we pursue the rest of our educational careers. I mean, that's, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I, I totally yeah. agree. And the, the more we know, the better we do. And I really like to look at research and literature outside of music education because uh, we can connect the dots in places that are kind of different and unusual. You know, I read a lot of marketing books. I read a lot of books about communication. I read a lot about neuroscience right now, <laughs> um, but about psychology, you know, about innovation and the creative process, which without the lens of music education, because you know, I know my content area, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so being able to make a, a shift with, oh, hey, like marketing, that's really interesting, right? They want to make sure that ideas are sticky. They want to make mm-hmm. sure people remember things. Well, don't you think that's important for teachers to know? <laughs> So, you know, so then I'm like, oh, cool. Well, how does that happen? And then I went to this whole, you know, neuroscience kick where I'm like, oh, this is how we, oh, this is how memories are made. Oh, this is how we recall information. That's so interesting. And then all of a sudden that informed how I was teaching so much better because it was just outside of the realm of the literature I would normally read about music education. Yeah, I agree. And I wish I, I wish I read more. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm usually finding stuff like my reading is finding repertoire. You know what, Justin, I have, I have a solution for you. My podcast is actually the intersection between music education and the social sciences. (laughs) Sweet. Yes. So, um, that, because it is, it's not accessible information. And that's actually the last person that I had on was like, this information just isn't, isn't available unless people really want to read, which People don't read anymore like they used to. I mean, I, I'm mm-hmm. kind of an anomaly here and uh, living my best nerd life, um, but but not everyone is me. And um, so being able to have just this readily available is really important because it's so interesting and you can do what you're doing so much better and so much more efficiently if you just knew more stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. That was a shameless plug. Is uh, that okay? No, 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 no. It's <laughs> perfectly fine. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't, 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 I, I shameless plug all the time. No worries. Well, it was so. relevant. So I, I stuck it in there. <laughs> no, it's cool. <laughs> um, now, uh, before we go, um, because you know, you're now, I mean, you're still teaching, but you're teaching teachers in a sense, um, has, uh, we, we talk about the why, but has your philosophy changed at all with the pandemic? And it's a two-parter. So with the pandemic um, and everything that's happened in the past two years, has your philosophy kind of shifted? And two, what's the difference between teaching educators and teaching children? Hmm. It's a really good question. So, and one I've never been asked before, the first part. Um, because people ask me my why has changed, but that's that's not the same question that you're asking. I think that this shift in that I've made, and because of the pandemic, it's actually allowed me to lean into my philosophy even more. Mm. Because what I I knew that I always wanted to teach teachers. I was mm-hmm. I've been on the conference circuit ever since. Like I remember going to my first NISMA conference and being like, oh, I have something to say. 
I want to say, I want to say it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I did. And then I used to be like, oh, I can write an article for this. Oh, I'm going to write an article. Oh, I can do this. And I was just, I was all about um, the learning and the sharing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I, I, I wish everyone felt that way because the more we learn and the more we share, the, the better it is for everybody. Right. Right. Ego aside, like this isn't this isn't about that. This is really just about like how can we do this work better? I'm here in this earth. I want to make a difference. How can I do that the best I know how? And and in my mind, that's about learning and sharing. So um so the shift allowed me to dig into that more because while I thought I'd always want to teach teachers and I'd end up like at the university, I realized that there were other ways to do that. And through this magical world of the interwebs, uh, we have a global community right at my fingertips. So, you know, when I am doing a workshop, like I, I have one that's, that's happening actually this, this coming Saturday, um, I literally have people from all over the world. I'm like, oh, oh my God. That's awesome. Like I, I can dig into my philosophy deeper and have that impact, that greater impact that I've always wanted to do on my own terms. And that's been really exciting for me. And it's just the beginning. And I'm, I'm so jazzed about that. Um, and then as far as the second part, what's so different about st- teaching students versus teaching adults? Um, <laughs> you know, I think it goes back to that perfectionism thing. That is the most different thing because as, as much as we struggle with that with the kids, it is exponentially worse with adults because we, um, there's a seriousness that we have learned that I incorporate into my workshops that I do with teachers is like, how can we make this like 10% more fun right now? And then all of a sudden everyone starts laughing. We just chill out and then we're able to like be real with each other, but there's a seriousness about everything and we don't want to be wrong and we need to be serious and we got to do the work and we got to da, 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 da. And it just like, so that that breaking the ice takes a lot longer with adults than it does for kids. Sorry, I was gonna say, just always seems to be like a rigidness. Such a rigidness, you know. Yes, and so, so. I, I literally start every single one of my sessions with party music, and we're like dancing because, like, that's what we're doing. Like, if we're not enjoying what we're doing, then I don't want to do it. Then why are we? Why are we doing this thing? You know. Right. Um, and for kids, especially when we're doing, a, you know, something like music. We always know how to make it fun and we know how to work that room with the kids. Like, you know, your seventh graders and you know what you need to say to crack a smile on this kid's face. Um, And and adults are um, a little bit of a harder sell. So once I make it safe to be silly, then we're good. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I love everything that you're saying. I like, it's like a long lost sister almost ah! in, in terms of everything that you're saying. This is, this is really great. I'm so happy that I was able to get you to come on. Yes, the podcast I'm glad that you asked. And it just seems like there's more potential for um, collaboration or more connection and more talking. Cause again, learning, sharing, right. That's what, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Becoming lifelong learners, always being lifelong learners. Well, her name is Jen Rafferty. Website is www.jenrafferty.com. And you can find information about Sing Together, her virtual global singing community, as well as her book, um, as well as, you know, information is uh, how you can get her to come and uh, do workshops or do virtual workshops uh, with you. Uh, Jen, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Opera Education Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Bye. <laughs>
Hey everyone, this is Justin from the Aka Education Podcast here to tell you about Anchor. Anchor is what I use to create these podcasts, and let me tell you, it's free. Uh, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And the beauty of it is we'll distribute the podcast for you. So I can record on Anchor and it's going to send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these other places as well. And I love that I can make money from this podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So be sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thank you so much for joining us for 50 episodes now. And a special thank you to Jen Rafferty for being my 50th guest here on the Aka Education Podcast. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for resources from this week's episode. Follow the podcast on social media at Aka Ed Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow me, Justin Glodish, at OfficialJGlow on TikTok and Twitter. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're found on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. New episodes released every Monday. You can also now tune into the podcast on Akaville Radio, akaville.org. If interested in supporting this podcast with a monthly donation, go over to anchor.fm slash podcast to do so. And if you ever have any questions about the podcast, suggestions on future guests, please email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voice message on the Anchor website. From the Aka Education Podcast, I'm Justin Glodish. We'll talk soon.